So the text for this morning is from John 4, the verses 1 through 26, which we just read a moment ago. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from hymn 55, stanza 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I read somewhere, and I assume that the author is right, that the human body is two-third water, and that by the time you are 70 years old, you will have required one and a half million gallons of water. When our bodies fail to retain the right amount of water, dehydration sets in. If you lose 2% of your body's water supply, your energy will decrease by 20%. If you have a 10% decrease in water, you will be unable to walk. And at a 20% decrease of water, you are dead. And so water is essential. You cannot do without it. It is the water in our body that determines the vitality, strength, and energy associated with daily living. I think you know where I'm going with this. What is true of the physical is also true of the spiritual. But now, how do you convince people that they need spiritual water as much as they need physical water? You know you need physical water when you are thirsty, and therefore you will go to the tap and pour yourself a glass of water. Your body tells you that you need it. But that's different with the spiritual. How do you know when you need spiritual water? A lot of people, especially in this day and age, are spiritually thirsty. They feel that they are dying inside but they don't know what to do about it. They try to satisfy their spiritual thirst with all kinds of things, but nothing does the trick for them. And they don't know where to find the true living water either. How do you direct them to the source? That was the problem for the Lord Jesus as well throughout his ministry. And that is a problem also for us today. How do we bring others to Christ? How do you evangelize? Do you knock on doors? Do you set your co-worker down in front of you and tell him or her about Jesus? What is the right approach? Well, brothers and sisters, it is marvelous to see the Lord Jesus at work with the Samaritan woman. He has a very refreshing and effective approach. Let's watch the Lord Jesus and learn from him to see how and that's what I will preach to you about this morning. And that's also the theme. How the Lord Jesus leads the Samaritan woman to the living water. You will see if you look at your sheets that I've changed that theme somewhat. So I'll repeat it. How the Lord Jesus leads the Samaritan woman to the living water. And then we will see that his approach is in the first place without bias. In the second place, respectful. And in the third place, obedient. The Apostle John alerts the reader to the fact that the Pharisees were, from the very beginning, opposed to the ministry of the Lord Jesus. They were jealous of him and afraid that he would draw the people away from them. They had already been concerned with the ministry of John the Baptist, who had many followers. But now they notice to their alarm that the Lord Jesus has even more disciples than John. 
And this puts the Lord Jesus in danger, and therefore he had to flee from Judea to Galilee, because the Pharisees could not tolerate to have him around. And the Lord Jesus did not want his ministry to come to an end prematurely. It says in the text that he had to go through Samaria in order to get to Galilee. However, not necessarily for geographical reasons. He could have done like the Orthodox Jews did and go around Samaria. However, that would have meant three more days traveling. And he did not deem that necessary or desirable. Do you know why the Orthodox Jews would not go through Samaria in order to go into Galilee? Because as far as they're concerned, the Samaritans are an unclean people. They wanted nothing to do with them. So intense was their dislike of the Samaritans that the Pharisees even prayed that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. If you wanted to insult someone, then you would call him, just like the Pharisees did to the Lord Jesus in John 8, verse 48, the Samaritan. The Samaritans were a mixed race, part Jew and part Gentile. And so they shared a common heritage with the Jews. And that is why the Samaritan woman also speaks with the Lord Jesus about our father Jacob. However, for the rest, they differed from the Jews radically. For one thing, they believed that God should be worshipped on Mount Gerizim and not in Jerusalem. They also had different legal traditions regarding the cleansing of vessels. Although they were very devout and strict observers of the law, they interpreted the law much differently than the Jews did. The Samaritans had for scripture only the first five books of Moses, and they had their own way of interpreting those books. They called themselves Shemarim. That's where the word Samaritan comes from. And Shemarim means observers of the Torah, observers of the law and that in reference to the five books of Moses. And they were of the strong opinion that they, and not the Jews, are the bearers of the true faith of ancient Israel, as expounded by Moses, and as practiced on Mount Gerizim in ancient times. There was a lot of tension between the Jews because of the history between them. The temple that the Samaritans had built on Mount Gerizim around 400 B.C., was destroyed by the Jews in the year 128 B.C. The Jews destroyed that temple because they claimed that the proper worship must be conducted in Jerusalem. And so there is no wonder that there is so much animosity between them. However, the Lord Jesus ignores all that history and enmity and prejudice against the Samaritans and has no compunction to go through their land and have contact with the Samaritans. Which is what happens when he encounters a Samaritan woman. For as he goes through Samaria, he came to a town called Sychar, where he, being tired and thirsty, sat down near Jacob's well. As he rests there, a Samaritan woman came into the picture who wanted to draw water from the well. And then a remarkable conversation takes place between him and her. The fact that the Lord Jesus has a conversation with her in itself is highly unusual. Because in the first place, she was a Samaritan. And Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Especially rabbis wouldn't do that. 
This woman noticed that anomaly right away. For she says to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John then, in connection with this, makes an editorial comment that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Other translations say that they have no dealings with them. That word dealings literally means to use together. And so she is actually asking, you want to drink from my cup? She knows that the Jews consider the Samaritans unclean. And therefore they would not even share a cup of water with them. For in so doing they would contaminate themselves. And so whatever instrument she would use to draw the water, the water in it would be declared unclean. Yet the Lord Jesus doesn't seem to care. And she is taken totally by surprise. Whether or not it is a pleasant surprise, that, as far as she concerns, as, as far as she is concerned, still remains to be seen. She is still on the fence at this point. And in the second place, she is talking to a woman without others being present. A rabbi did not do such a thing either. He would not talk with any woman in the street, not even with his own wife or daughter. And so this was totally contrary to the customs of that time. And in the third place, to top it all off, the Lord Jesus also knows the kind of woman that she is. He knows, without her having told him, that she is a woman of questionable morals. In her lifetime, she has had five husbands. And now she is living with a man with whom she is not even married. Humanly speaking, you could say that she, is, that she was at the garbage heap of the marriage market and therefore doubly unsuitable company for respectable men. She was the wrong race, the wrong gender, and had the wrong history. And yet, he talked to her. And no doubt this approach of the Lord Jesus makes quite an impact on her. It makes her sit up and take notice. She doesn't know yet what's going on, but her curiosity has been aroused. It has been aroused not necessarily because of his bold approach, but because of his accepting and humble attitude. He, a man, a Jew even, has an ordinary conversation with her, and of all people asks her for a favor. His humbling and accepting attitude is evident evident for everything he says and does. By asking her for a drink, he makes himself vulnerable. For she could have refused and rebuked him. She could have scolded him for doing something so unusual. The Lord Jesus could also have found another way to draw water. Yet he asks her for a drink. And this shows that the Lord Jesus has no false sense of pride. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Lord Jesus teaches us a great lesson here. Do you see how deftly Jesus has begun to tear down barriers? First, he goes where most Jews consider themselves too good and too pure to go. He, however, has a humble and accepting attitude. He shows himself to be a man without bias and without prejudices. He does not consider himself to be better than anyone else, even though as the Son of God he is. 
And when the Lord Jesus speaks to this woman, he is not pushy about it. He has a natural conversation with her. There is no hostility. And he does not put her in a position of obligation to him either. Christians, and that includes me, often wonder how they must evangelize. How we must talk to strangers about the Lord Jesus. We feel guilty that we have not seized every opportunity to speak to, to speak to others about them. For we know how necessary that is. We think about all the lost opportunities and think to ourselves that God will hold that against us. We should have spoken up then and there. How come I can't talk to other peoples about this? And we don't know quite how to go about this. How do we bring others to Christ? Do we knock on doors and hand out pamphlets? Do we sit ourselves down across a person in a restaurant who is sitting alone and begin by telling him or her about Jesus? Do we confront our fellow workers about our faith as we have lunch with them? Do we rebuke them when they talk about their wild parties or the money they lost gambling in a casino? Where do we start? What opportunities do we seize upon? What do we say? Well, brothers and sisters, take note of the approach that the Lord Jesus takes. He is very wise and very skillful in the way that he brings this Samaritan woman slowly but surely to the gospel, to the good news of salvation. He brings her to the truth in a very natural way. He flows out of who he is and what he stands for. The first thing he does is to break down the barriers by accepting her without any bias. The Lord Jesus could have begun by rebuking this woman about her false religion or about her lifestyle or about other things. But what do you think would have happened if he had done that? Do you think that she would have responded to him? No doubt she would have wanted nothing to do with him. She would have turned her back on him. Instead, he engages her in a conversation as an equal. And he also treats her with respect. We come to the second point. He says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I would imagine that it would have taken her a few moments to respond to this answer, for it is quite unexpected. She would have expected him to give a direct answer to her question. He doesn't. In so doing, he makes her think. Wouldn't such a question pique your interest as well? Think about it. Wouldn't you set down your water jar and say to him, What exactly are you talking about? What do you mean? For he presents her with something very intriguing, especially to her in her situation. She has to fetch water every day. It's quite a chore. She probably had to travel quite a distance. And so the prospect of not having to do that every day will be very attractive to her. That's also what she says later on in the text. And so with that question, the Lord Jesus has her where he wants her. He has her interested. He has her asking questions. In other words, he now has her setting the agenda, or at least... He has her thinking that she is setting the agenda. 
He is not tacking at her, but he is talking with her. That's a mistake many people make. They think that they have to speak at people, that they have to preach to them. Now, there is nothing wrong with coming with sermons. If that were the case, then I would be out of a job. But there is a time and place for everything. The Lord Jesus also preaches to people. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout Scripture, we also see that the prophets proclaim, preach God's word. But that's not appropriate in every situation. When you preach to people, then you come with a general message that you can apply to everyone. It doesn't necessarily deal with you and your particular situation. But when you engage people on a personal level, then you also have to make a personal connection. You have to understand where the other person is coming from. And so you have to allow him or her to ask questions. You have to allow him or her to come to understand a certain point that you are trying to make from their point of view. In other words, you have to engage in a two-way conversation. Ministers and elders often make that mistake when they go on home visits. They think that they have to go on a home visit in order and that they have to set their own agenda and that they have to do all the talking. After all, isn't that what they have to do to instruct? Well, that's first of all the place of the pulpit. A home visit is meant to listen to what goes on in people's lives. To see how God's word is functioning in the life of that particular family, of that particular person. And the only way that you can find that out is by having the family have their say. To talk about their specific situation. And that, brothers and sisters, is the genius of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows exactly how to do that. He got that Samaritan woman to talk. He broke down the barriers. However, at this point, she doesn't quite take him seriously yet. She's still a skeptic, understandably. But let me paraphrase what she says to him. Honorable sir without water... How can you dispense living water? You don't have anything to draw water with. Even our father Jacob would not have been able to do what you propose to do. It's noteworthy that she speaks about our father Jacob. In this way, she acknowledges that she has a certain connection with him. It indicates that she is somewhat favorably inclined to him at this point. The Lord Jesus has gotten her that far. And now he can continue to strengthen the bond with her. He now makes the distinction between two different kinds of water. She very well understood what living water normally refers to. Living water refers to flowing water or spring water. In distinction from still water, such as water from a cistern or a well. Living water is then fresh water in comparison to still water, which is brackish water. But the Lord Jesus makes a distinction between two different kinds of living waters. He makes a distinction between living water that refreshes you physically and between living water that refreshes you spiritually. In this way, he brought the conversation up a notch. She's still not convinced. 
understandably. There's still a lot of questions. There's still a lot of things that need answers. But she continues to be intrigued. She wants him to give her some of that water so that she will not have to keep coming back there to the well to draw her water. I'm sure, however, that she understands that the Lord Jesus is speaking about something different here, something different than the water from the well. But nevertheless, she asks him to give him some of that water because she wants him to explain himself further. And no doubt she does that so that she can get a greater understanding of what he is talking about. She's still not sure. And the Lord Jesus also understands that. For he's dealing here with a sinful woman. And that is why he tells her to go and call her husband and then to come back to him. But the Lord Jesus knows that that's where the shoe pinches. For he knows that she is a sinful woman who has had five husbands and that the man with whom she is living now is not really her husband for they never really were legally married. There is sin in her life. She's had great difficulties with relationships in her life and there is a great emptiness inside of her. Why is that? Is it because she is an outcast, as some commentators assert? For they state that because of her questionable history, the people shunned her. And that is why she came to the well at at the heat of the day, at the time when no one else would do so. But is that true? Is she considered an outcast? As we will see later on, when she goes back to the city, she does not have any problems with the people in town, for she spoke to them directly and convinced them to come back with her to the well where Jesus was, so that they could see for themselves who he really was. And so she appears to have a relationship with those people. And also, it's not necessarily true that she came there at the heat of the day. For it is more likely that John used the Roman calendar and that therefore she would have been around at the well around 6 p.m. And also it is not necessarily true that she came there at the same time as the Lord Jesus. Verse 7 would indicate otherwise. It was Jesus who came to the well at the sixth hour. The Samaritan woman came later. It is true, however, that there is something seriously missing in her life. She has difficulties dealing with other people. Otherwise, she would not have had so many husbands. We're not given the reason for that. But those people who have difficulties with relationships are usually people who can see the sins and shortcomings of others, but who are blind to their own sins and weaknesses. And therefore there is still a great barrier between her and the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus has to break down that barrier. Once again, he does that in a marvelous way. He doesn't do this directly, but indirectly. She has to deal with her own sin. It is only once you realize your own sin that you can understand and be open to the message of the gospel. And the gospel requires that you first recognize your sin and that you realize that you have to turn from that sin and that you have to turn to God. Your sins need to be confronted. And that is the New Testament pattern of evangelism. It always calls first for recognition of sin and a turning from sin toward God. 
And so the Lord Jesus says to her, go, call your husband and come back. It is marvelous in the way that she responds to this. She could have turned away from him and gone off in a huff. Or she could have made up an excuse that her husband was away on a trip or something like that. That's often what people do when they're put into an uncomfortable situation. They try to get out of it in one way or the other by hook or by crook. Isn't that the way we all are? Isn't that what we do when we are confronted by our sin? We either get defensive or we try to dance around the issue. But this Samaritan woman was an honest woman. She right away admitted to him that she has no husband. And what does the Lord Jesus say to her? Does he scold her and tell her that she shouldn't be living like that? No, he didn't. He would have pushed her away if he had. He looked for the positive. And he even commends her. He says, you're right. He brings out the truth. And he does that by not putting her on a guilt trip or by making her feel dirty. For he knows that sin makes you blind. And he was interested in opening up her eyes. And again she responds well. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. She hasn't quite figured out yet who he is. And since she only knows the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, she knows what it says in Deuteronomy 18 verse 18, namely that the Lord God is going to send his special prophet to his people. She recognizes him as such. And so she has come a long way. And the only way that she can come to understanding is through obedience to God's word. And that's our final point. Lord Jesus shows in his answer how he wants her to be obedient to all of God's word. As is clear from verse 9, it bothers this woman that there is such a rift between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the Lord Jesus is also bothered by that. He is bothered by all barriers. That is why he came to break down barriers. And therefore that barrier that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans had to be broken down first. And the only way that you can do that is by understanding what true worship is all about. By being obedient to all of God's word. The scriptures clearly state that salvation is from the Jews. Numerous scripture passages point to that. I don't have the time to go through that. But you know that as well. And that is also what the Lord Jesus tells her. And this is a very important point. She is looking for salvation at the wrong address. Or actually, she doesn't know where to find it. Now then, how does the Lord Jesus point her to the right address? Well, the Jews do it in a haughty and arrogant way. They did it with an air of superiority, in such a way that they present themselves as being better than others. After all, aren't they God's special people? Has God not said that they are the chosen nation? And are they therefore not at the right address when they worship God in Jerusalem in the temple? And so they think of themselves as being more obedient and more acceptable than anyone else. And isn't that a mistake we often make as well, brothers and sisters? We know where the right address is, don't we? It's this church where you find the right doctrine. And you're right. It's indeed true that God gathers his church here. This is where you belong. 
But that does not mean that he does not gather his church elsewhere. Of course he does. We have nothing to boast of. All we can do is have a humble and thankful attitude. And that is more important than anything else. It is not only where you worship, but how you worship. Just because you come to this church doesn't mean that you are a better Christian. It only means that you come to that place where God's truth is proclaimed most fully. But you also have to put that word into practice in your own life. If all you can say about yourself that you're going to the right place, then you still have a long way to go. For then you don't understand what God wants from you. He wants you to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to worship Him, as He says, in spirit and truth. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants this Samaritan woman to do. The Jews and the Samaritans have to worship the Father in truth. And the Father reveals Himself through His Son. When the Lord Jesus explains to her that the worship of the Father is in spirit and truth, then he wants her to understand that it is in total obedience to God's word. And the word is standing right in front of her. For the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know from John 1 verse 1, is the word. And somehow she has to come to understand that. For she already had confessed him as a true prophet. But now she also comes to refer to him as the Messiah. The Samaritans did not have a Messiah expectation. The Jews did. And she knew that about them. And therefore by stating that she knows that the Messiah is coming, she recognizes that there are no longer any barriers between the Jews and the Samaritans. It is the Messiah who breaks down those barriers. What a tremendous revelation that is to her. Now she has come to the living water. And she is now so excited about it that she wants to tell others about it. She tells those people in town with those people with whom she has a relationship. And how did she come to that conclusion? Well, the Lord Jesus met her where she was, in her situation of life. And then he gave her life. He gave her the living water. He opens her eyes and heals her heart and reconciles her to God. He breaks down the barriers between God and man. And that's also what God wants you and me to do as we go about our daily tasks. We have to walk humbly with our fellow man. And bring him or her to the Lord Jesus Christ in a natural and loving way. Not in a condescending, know-it-all way. Humbly. Joyfully. In a way that it flows out of your heart. Out of a thankful heart. Thankful because God has saved you from your sins. For none of us is any better than anyone else. We are all sinful people. 
But we know that salvation is from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is a wonderful knowledge, isn't it? And so we have something absolutely wonderful to share, don't we? The Lord God has given you and me living water. And there is enough living water to go around for everyone. Lead others to that living water so that they too may have their thirst quenched forever. Lead them to Christ. Do it in the way that the Lord Jesus teaches us. Do it because you truly love God and because you truly love your neighbor. Amen.